Chapter 2 Courage in the Valley The moment you enter the valley of the shadow of death, things change. You discover that Christianity is not something doughy, passive, pious, and soft. The life of belief teems with thrills, boldness, danger, shocks, reversals, triumphs, and epiphanies. Tony Snow in Cancer's Unexpected Blessings. There are moments and seasons in life that a man can't possibly prepare for. He is dropped into combat without warning. The greatest test for a man come in these valleys, grim and gray times of hardship, loss, suffering, and sorrow. The birth of our 13th grandchild was one of those experiences. Our daughter Rebecca, who lives in another state, went into labor at night just as Barbara and I were going to bed. We prayed for her and went to sleep knowing that she and her husband Jake would contact us when the baby was born. So when I rolled over in bed and noticed that the clock read 4 a.m., I thought I'd just shoot a text message off to Jake and say, What's up? Almost instantly, the reply came back, She's pushing. At 5.45, I was awakened by another text. It's a girl. I smiled and went back to sleep knowing that they'd call when they were able. There was silence for 90 minutes. Then their call came. We learned that after Molly was born, she didn't cry for four minutes. The doctors were suspicious of a heart murmur, and Molly had been whisked away to the neonatal intensive care unit at Children's Hospital in Denver. Not the news we expected. We made travel arrangements, and 12 hours later, we walked into the children's hospital waiting area, where we were greeted by Jake. And then we heard the words, something is wrong with Molly's brain. I immediately thought, fixing a heart is one thing. That's dangerous enough. But brain surgery? That's much more serious. We made our way to Molly's room, wrapped our arms around Rebecca, and glanced over at Molly and immediately began to weep. She had tubes and wires attached to seemingly every part of her body. We were stunned as we watched her tiny chest heaving, laboring to breathe. Jake was so proud of her, and he wanted to be the first to introduce us to our granddaughter. During the next 24 hours, we watched helplessly as Jake and Rebecca received the news that Molly had a massive brain aneurysm. They were told that since the seventh week of development, the vein of Galen, the major vein that delivers blood to the center of the brain, had delivered five times the amount of blood that a normal brain would receive, and that as a result, much of Molly's brain was gone. Instantly, what was supposed to have been a young couple's mountaintop celebration of new life became instead a freefall into a dark, cavernous valley, the valley of the shadow of death. They weren't the only ones reeling. I had never experienced anything like this. What could prepare a man, a father, a grandfather for a crisis like this?
How does a man face his own fears of inadequacy and grief, plus provide the love and comfort his family needs? I had been thrown into a battle that I hadn't signed up for. I was being given a duty as a man that I hadn't anticipated. In the process of stepping into this pain-filled valley, I was about to discover a different kind of courage. There were moments when I had more questions and fears than courage. How does a man step up and lead appropriately as he watches the hearts of the ones he loves the most shatter? Fortunately, I was joined by another man, Jake's father, Bill Mutz. Bill is a good man and has been married to Pam since 1977. They had been through the valley before when he and Pam lost their firstborn son, seven-month-old Jonathan, who drowned in a bathtub. One day at a time, Bill and I did our duty. Some were the mundane duties of getting lunch, running errands, calling family and friends, and picking up family members at the airport. Other moments were anything but routine. Molly's seven-day life was marked by the most unimaginable, freeze-framed snapshots we could ever conceive, like sitting in a cold conference room with our wives and watching Jake and Rebecca receive the news from the doctor that Molly would likely die quickly if taken off the life support, that she would require 15 to 20 life-threatening surgeries, and even if through some miraculous means she survived, she would be blind. Molly would never speak. She would likely never hear, never walk, never. The descriptions crushed our hearts and hope. As Bill would later recall, As a parent, you have to really let him have they have to walk through their own experience. They have to walk through their own dependency and relationship on the Lord, frankly, because you cannot insert your life's experience into their head. It has to be their decision as a couple. Dennis did the same thing. Both of us learned that it takes courage to be silent. Those seven days of Molly's life were the most challenging moments of my life. Nothing comes close. Buckets of tears, holding my wife, daughter, and Jake while they sobbed. And as unimaginable as it sounds, there were occasions when weeping and laughter mingled. The last day of Molly's earthly life was unforgettable. Around noon, Rebecca and Jake honored all of us grandparents by giving us the privilege of holding Molly and saying goodbye. None of us expected we'd get that treat. We didn't want to rob them of one moment with their precious daughter. My wife Barbara was first. It was quite a maneuver to make sure that all the wires and tubes that were supporting Molly's life didn't get tangled. But finally, there she was in her arms. Barbara kept saying how much of an honor it was to hold this little princess of the king. She held her close and cooed words of love and admiration over her beautiful face. Holding back tears was impossible. 
Jake's parents soaked in all of her they could. When it was Bill's turn, he stroked her face, tenderly whispered his love for her, and shared his favorite scriptures with her. Pam beamed as she gently rocked Molly and sang, Jesus loves me to her. Both Bill and Pam just held her, kissing her face, holding her little hands, and weeping as they said goodbye. As Molly was placed in my arms, she felt so warm, just like every other newborn. I tried to sing to her, and I doubt that she recognized Jesus loves me as I choked out a few words through the tears. Jake, who was videotaping, asked me, Papa, why don't you tell Molly a story? When Dennis was holding her, I asked him to tell her a spec story because he's, he's famous for his spec stories. Well, there was this, this little girl and her papa that went fishing. Spec people, and they caught spec fish. Little bitty people the size of a speck. I responded to Jake, you aren't going to ask me to do that after I've just blubbered my way through a simple song like Jesus Loves Me, are you? Jake was joined by Rebecca. I just marveled listening to him tell her the story because he wasn't going to get to tell her a story. fishing together, and they opened their lunchbox while they were fishing. You know, they had chocolate. Yeah, of course they did. They had chocolate. And then they had ice cream, and then they had pudding. And he was holding her, and we were all watching the machines, because when you move this baby, you're, you've got to be so careful. You don't pull anything, you don't, whatever. He did. He got emotional and started to cry, which I thought was beautiful. And they caught tiny speckfish. Yep. Cooked them and ate them right there. And when Dad tells spec stories, he always says, and you'll have to wait till tomorrow to hear the end of the story or the rest of the tale. You know, something very surprising happened. You know what? <laughs> You're going to have to wait till I get to heaven to tell you the rest of the story. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have to wait till I get to heaven to finish the story. The rest of the story. Oh, I hope I'm not being too loud. But her heart no. rate's staying low, so it's okay. No, it's right. Oh, actually, her oxygen's the highest it's been all morning. <laughs> she was. And we could not believe it because her oxygen had been down all day. The story. It's the hope of chocolate. <laughs> her blood was oxygen enriched because we were laughing. Maybe Jesus is healing her right now. All four of us cheered for Molly. It was a moment of sheer delight and mystery. A small thing, perhaps. Yes, no doubt but at the entrance to the valley of the shadow of death. God gave us laughter. Christians are the only people who can laugh in the midst of such a crisis without despair. We know where we are headed. Heaven is certain because of what Jesus Christ did for us through his death for our sins. Because he lives, we who believe and place our personal trust in him, have the hope of life after death. If a man places faith in Christ for forgiveness of his sins and surrenders his life to the Lord, then he can be certain of heaven too. It's the ultimate reason why death is different for a true follower of Christ. And it's why we could laugh as our beloved Molly 
was about to leave us. The laughter stopped, and the tears flowed again as I was told it was time for me to say goodbye. Rebecca was now holding Molly. Barbara and I knelt beside her as I read her a goodbye letter that I had written. It's entitled, Mighty Molly. I just met you. I feel cheated. I don't want to say goodbye. I know I'll see you in a couple of decades or so. In light of eternity, it won't be long, really. Still, I don't want to say goodbye. You will always be my Molly, my granddaughter. I'm really sad that I won't be getting to spoil you with a doll or go sneak chocolate or take you on ice cream dates and eat chocolate pie and pudding, laughing all the time at what your mommy and daddy would say if they knew what we were doing. I don't want to say goodbye. Your seven days brought a lot of joy to your mom and dad's faces. I've watched them drink you in with their eyes, kiss you from head to foot, stroke and caress you. Your parents have loved you well. God couldn't have given you better parents, courageous parents. They have loved you with a sacrificial love that only a very few little girls like you ever get to experience. Because it hurts their hearts so much, oh, how I don't want to say goodbye. And so, sweet Molly, until that day in heaven, when we will celebrate the greatness of our God together, and then we'll go sneak chocolate and go on an ice cream date, I must say goodbye. Goodbye, Molly Ann. I love you. Papa. Reflecting back on those emotion-packed, ever-so-short seven days, I now realize that I learned a lot about being a man and stepping up in the valley. Without trying to explain every point, I'd like to summarize the lessons from my journey. In order for a man to be courageous, he must know the truth about who God is. Courage that overcomes fear comes from convictions and convictions about life and death come from the truth of Scripture. The easiest thing for a man to do in a devastating crisis is to move into denial and do nothing. Another good man standing alongside you will help you be courageous when journeying through the valley. Bill Mutz was that man in my valley. It takes repeated acts of courage for a man to truly face and process his emotions. The natural tendency is to run away from them or deny that they exist or to think that you'll be less of a man because you sob uncontrollably. Pleasure and pain were both meant to be experienced by men. For me, that took courage. It takes repeated acts of courage for a man to give others freedom to process their emotions differently from him and not be at the same place he is. A man is no less courageous if faced with a situation that he can't fix 
and about which he doesn't know what to do, but cries out to God in prayer, Help me, God. A man can have doubts and still step up. A man doesn't have to understand all of God's purposes to step up and to be God's man. A number of years ago, Barbara and I were vacationing in southwest England and stumbled upon a little town of St. Burian, a crossroad in the country with a pub, a decaying church, and a graveyard. We stopped and read a few of the gravestones. One that was barely legible commemorated a family that lived in the 1600s. Buried beneath the stone were the mother, the father, and their son. The mother died at the age of 24, some 10 days after giving birth to their son. The son lived for 13 months, and the father died a few days after the son did at the age of 25. The faded words on that weathered limestone grave marker moved us so deeply that today they are etched on Molly's headstone. Listen carefully. We cannot, Lord, thy purpose see, but all is well that's done by thee. A man doesn't have to understand God's purposes to be God's man if he knows who God is and trust Him.